You're listening to. Listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast between books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm V Rayu. And we are here today to discuss our June book club pick, Not Your Sidekick by C.B. Lee. As always, if you have any comments uh, about our discussion, you can sound off on the Books and Boba Goodreads group. Um, yeah, uh, should we just jump right in? Yeah, sure. Let's start with the book jacket description, as always. Yeah. Uh, before we start, though, we will be spoiling the hell out of this book. So if you plan to read it and you <laughs> care about spoilers, then I suggest you click pause and come back to it later. And Standard, standard uh, spoiler disclaimer. And uh, the book jacket description goes, Where superpowers are common, but internships are complicated. Just ask high school nobody Jessica Tran. Despite her heroic lineage, Jess is resigned to a life without superpowers and is merely looking to beef up her college applications when she stumbles upon the perfect paid internship. Only it turns out to be for the town's most heinous supervillain. On the upside, she gets to work with her longtime secret crush, Abby, whom Jess thinks may have a secret of her own. Then there's the budding attraction to her fellow intern, the mysterious M., who never seems to be in the same place as Abby, but what starts as a fun way to spite her superhero parents takes a sudden and dangerous turn when she uncovers a plot larger than heroes and villains altogether. Ooh. So already, as you may know, Not Your Sidekick is... Uh, what is um, a superhero... Is, is it just a genre in itself? Is it science fiction? Is it fantasy? I mean, this would, science fiction, this would kind of be like an urban post dystopian yeah sci-fi because it takes place post-apocalypse but a post-apocalypse where society has started to rebuild oh yeah i said post-dystopian that's incorrect (laughs) well i imagine there was a dystopia and and the way that the book sets up the history there was a period of like well what's a dystopia though dystopia is just like dystopia um, is uh, is when society is uh like, like there's different dystopias, right? And it's, it's when society reaches a point where it's um, bad habits catch up to them, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, kind so of. So you have, like, post-capitalist dystopia, which we're hardening towards right now. You and have, it's also, like, questionable morality yeah. and, like, uh, and how they, like, value human lives. Yeah. yeah like, oh, like, is it, like, the 1984 type of dystopia? Is it a, like, Mad Max type dystopia? Yeah. Is it, you know? <laughs> but... Honestly, uh, the setting for Not Your Sidekick, like, they figured a lot of stuff out, like, uh, yeah. how, to, how to have clean energy and, <laughs> <laughs> and how to have self-driving cars. And, like, a lot of problems that we have now is kind of solved in, in this yeah. setting. And it's really funny because the book takes place, like, what, 200 years from our future i think so or like 25 something i think like two three hundred years yeah but yeah like it's it's set like it's set like kind of 200 300 years after 
after our present timeline, and it's been a number of years since the uh, the big dystopian incident happened, which is like a solar flare. Well, a solar act- flare activates um, like the nuclear reactors. Yeah, and uh, decimates like more than half of the global I think it's population. Like way more than half. I yeah. think like only about a third or so remain. Yeah, like, and then. And then, like, because uh, because of the solar flare, it activated, like, like superpower genes in, in people. Yeah, it activated superpower genes, but it also caused a um, war for resources. Oh, yeah. So that's World War III, um, according to the book, um, which caused, like, basically a shift in, I guess, global politics. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, like, our main character, uh, Jess, she belongs to, I forgot the name of the coalition that she's a part of, but it's a coalition that is... It's the like, North American Coalition. Okay, so, so they it's combine like, North America, like, basically the countries of North America combine yeah, Canada, to, America, and I think even some parts of, like, Mexico. It's Canada, America, and Mexico. Like, yeah. It's the, the North American continent is now one big, like, superpower. Yeah. Yeah. And they hint at other superpowers, um, other... other um, abroad, um, but the story takes place in like a small town, Arizona. Andover. Yeah, I kept I kept thinking like Handover, and I was like, <laughs> no, it's uh, there's no H like Andover. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was uh, since all the dystopia stuff happened way before, and it's like history. It, it's what kids learn in their history classes. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not too stressed out about it it's like society has kind of figured itself out and i mean i feel like it's um it's a psych it's um the story takes place at a part of the cycle where it's kind of a utopia in a way because people have their problems taken care of they have superheroes like who like take care of things for them um i'm sh- the main antagonist which will get get go which we'll talk about later would like people to think it's a utopia but it's also teetering on the brink of a next dystopia because you're getting, um, uh, so I guess this is a spoiler start. Um, the main antagonist wants to control everyone, right? Yeah. Wants to control the narrative and basically turn it into a police state, which is kind of where dystopia starts. Yeah, but until then, everything is kind of happy. Yeah, this this is a very optimistic post-apocalyptic world, <laughs> uh, which I very much appreciated. Um, I really liked how the the book opened up. We have the scene where Jess is in the middle of the desert and yeah. she's attempting to fly because uh, her both of her parents are superheroes and she's like going through a checklist of powers that she could have <laughs> and like flying is like the last one yeah. and she fails and she's just like, oh, I guess I'm just going to be a mediocre human being. <laughs> and um, yeah, like it's... It's interesting because because Jess has these expectations of herself. Like her parents aren't like pushing her yeah. to be a superhero, but um, she feels like that burden. She's like, I really want to live up to. Well, my parents are, so I should also be. Yeah. Right? Also, like it doesn't help that her older sister is, is also a superhero, and that her dad is so like into it. Yeah. Right? That like it feels like you're disappointing your parents if you're not, which is a very and um just the main character is a Vietnamese not American, but like North American collector, like Vietnamese diaspora, um second generation from a refugee family. Chinese Vietnamese. Chinese Vietnamese, yeah. Yeah, yeah I 
I really like that scene because it just like establishes, <laughs> like it, it just establishes her character so well. And I thought this book was gonna go more, uh, I guess, like more comic booky with with its plot. You mean like with the stakes? Yeah, with like stakes and stuff. It was it was more slice of life yeah, than like... than like 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 big superhero uh, like story plot lines. Like, oh, we must like get. <laughs> We, it's like oh, we must get the gauntlet or something. Yeah, I don't there was know. no, there was no like world-ending implications. Um, well, the stakes do get high towards the end. Yeah, towards the end. But there wasn't any like, there's no imminent apocalyptic th- level threat, right? Yeah, I really like that slice of life, uh, like component to this book, and I thought it was really funny how, um, like. Even though this is set like 200, 300 years after our present timeline and America doesn't really exist anymore, <laughs> um, there were so many things that were relatable yeah. in terms of like Asian American uh, second generation exper- like experiences, especially yeah. the whole like, oh, I can't live up to my parents' expectations. <laughs> There's that. There was the scene in the Bami shop. Oh where... my God, that is my favorite scene in this book. <laughs> like, where Jess tries to order in Vietnamese, but realizes her Vietnamese isn't good enough, so she yeah. has to abort and just like. Um, I actually have a quote from from that scene that like that I really liked, and it goes: "Jess often feels as if she's not Chinese enough in certain situations and not Vietnamese enough in others. It's awkward when you're not quite one, but not quite the other." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Dang!" <laughs> like. Like, I, I really, really like that scene because it, it just shows, like, how so many Asian American second gens feel. Like, mm-hmm. we don't feel like uh, we fit anywhere. And and you kind of see it kind of uh, – you see this theme kind of repeat itself, like, in the book. Like, yeah. Jess often – tries to find her footing like her parents have superpowers and she doesn't and she's just like where do i fit in this world where uh superpowers are kind of valued (laughs) it's very middle child too she's like definitely like the middle child like the the forgotten one because she's sandwiched between her sister who has like um the powers of her parents and more a more stronger version of it which is like the immigrant's dream right like you are us but better yeah and um, her younger brother, who is supposedly like a, a super genius, yeah, like he doesn't need superpowers. He like builds, like he's like Batman. He like builds all these gadgets and stuff. Yeah, and so she's like, uh, <laughs> she just. But I, I do like how she doesn't like. You can tell it it bothers her, but she's not like dwelling on it. She's just like, okay, what's the next best option? I guess I'll find an internship. Yeah, I guess I guess I'll work on my college applications, which oh, is like, like which the- is so Asian, by the way. <laughs> Um, he's like oh let me bulk up my college applications by doing like all these internships and extracurricular <laughs> activities and i'm like oh dang like high school sucked <laughs> yeah. i do like um, um i guess one thing we didn't mention off the top which you do find out um and it's like it, the, the book wears this on the sleeve it's the the main character jess is a um is she bi in this book yeah or? she's yeah. bisexual and yeah so this is um one of the few queer people of color superhero comics featuring Asian lead. So yeah, it, it's probably the first one I've read with like a queer Asian American uh, 
protagonist because yeah. I've seen books where uh, you do have Asian American queer uh, teenagers, but they're kind of in the sidelines. Right. And there you go. Not your sidekick, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The fact that this book centers on her. Um, on her crush. It, on her crush and on her, you know, like it's it's it works on a lot of levels. And it also shows you that like, you know, you can write stories about queer characters without them being queer as like, you don't have to show them being queer all the time. Yeah, which is, this like, is this yeah. is not a coming out novel which which yeah. <laughs> i really appreciated and it's so rare to see like like a girl couple without like some tragedy coming out of it like how many movies and how many books have you read where you have yeah. like two girls who fall in love with each other and then like something happens to one of the girls it's like oh my parents don't approve or like one of them ends up dead and, yeah. and it's just so nice you don't have those uh those implications in this novel and also, it's it's really nice to see so many um, like so many different uh, types of queer people in this novel because yeah. you you do have Bells who is uh, a black trans boy, and then you also have Emma who seems to be demi romantic, but I'm not sure. It's it's not really. <laughs> what does that mean? I, that's a new word for me. Uh, demi romantic means. I, I hope this is correct. Is that just like she just loves all the time? Everyone? No, no. I think, yeah, yeah. So a demi-romantic is uh, a type of, um, demi like to be a demi-romantic, it means that you only experience romantic attraction after kind of having an emotional connection beforehand. So um, I think Emma is a demi-romantic, but it's not mentioned uh, specifically in the book, I think it's mentioned later on. Oh, and I know, like, and I know from not your villain that Emma's parents are uh, are are lesbians. So there's that as well. Okay. So you have like so many different types of sexuality. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that was a thing. I just thought, you know, um, she just uh, had a bunch of crushes. But um... I mean, in the book, she does like openly say like oh that person's cute and like <laughs> it's like oh like abby's really pretty like but yeah it's like really it's really nice to have such a diverse cast yeah and, I, and like not be focused on <laughs> on just their sexuality like there there is like a plot to it and everyone is just kind of yeah themselves there's something about the way that she wrote too that like i remember hearing that bells was a trans um, character but i didn't really think about it until they like brought it up in like one line in the middle of the book which wasn't even describing him but it was just um uh, abby's character like saying oh i thought he was like i didn't know what his pronouns were yeah so she uses the pronouns yeah. they and jess says like oh like it's okay it's nice that you yeah. use the pronoun they because you weren't sure but even after that i was like he still bells like yeah yeah and I, I think that's a testament to how this book was like how she approached these characters as like the their queerness isn't othering it's yeah. just like part of their it's just part of their character yeah like yeah. the only little bit you kind of get a glimpse at othering is when jess talks about how she accidentally came out as bisexual by reading a poem in class mm -hmm. and how like her 
how like the Rainbow Allies Club at her school, <laughs> they're like constantly trying to recruit her. And she says, oh, I'm bisexual, not lesbian. And then like the club president's like, oh, and then kind of gives her like the shady look, like the side eye. And it's like, okay, there's like a little bit of biphobia in this club. Mm. But like, you know, like you blink and it's just gone. Like what it you, doesn't focus on what it. What did you think about the whole um, like Rainbow Coalition subplot? It reminded me of like in college where I tried to join like the Asian like – it was like a, it was like a pan Asian group, but they were very politically active. And this was before like I got comfortable like talking about politics and thinking about like Asian American as a political thing. And so I kind of got scared off. And <laughs> whenever they saw me on campus, it was like, uh, it was like, like when are you coming back? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Sometime. I yeah, like I've kind of had like a similar thing, like in. <laughs> Because, like, in high school, like, I was part of, like, the Korean Arts uh, Korean arts Club. And mm-hmm. the thing is, like, I went because I, I did traditional dance. And, you know, I went only for that. I uh-huh. went only for, like, exposure to, like, traditional arts and to learn more about my culture. Because it was at that moment in my life where I was like, okay, I'm going to, like, open up to, like, to, like, my parents' culture. Because before that, I was just like, <laughs> fuck being Korean. Um, but then like the club members there, they were very clicky and they would, they would be like, oh, let's go out to eat. And I'm like, no, no, (laughs) we are, we are not friends outside of this club because Uh, we have nothing in common. Um, so yeah. So like that pushiness in like, join our club, be like, let's do everything together. (laughs) Like, I'm just like, I can, I, I understand. Yeah. And that was the other thing too. Like they, they were described in the book as a very, like it was the guy and his friends were the club. And that's how I felt too. It's like, I'm like coming out to your thing, but all you're really doing is hanging out together and doing inside jokes and making me feel, I, I, you know, I get the, you look how good friends we are. Don't you want to be a part of this? But at the same time, like, yeah. To me, it's like, look how good friends you are. Why? Where? Where do I fit in that? Yeah, exactly. Right? So it comes back to the theme of like just trying to find uh, like a place to belong, and yeah. you know, she finds she finds a little bit of that with her friends. Like, yeah. her friends are super funny. Like, <laughs> like I think it's Bells who um, who likes like really old things. Like they watch. DVDs. I think they all like really old. Okay, things. they really yeah. they all like really old things. I'm like, yeah, like pre pre disaster media has been banned. Yeah, <laughs> so. and it's just like wow, DVDs. Like people don't even buy DVDs in <laughs> in our day and age. So it's it's really funny. Um, it's it's just like a really funny quirky thing. But yeah, like Abby signing up for her internship and then going and finding out that. It's owned by supervillains. Yeah. And she's just like, she could have easily turned that down. But then there was like, well, it's paid. And I guess it's like subverting my parents' expectations of me. Well, so. also her crush is also working there. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I like how they set up like in this small town, you have also small town heroes assigned to it. Right. So you have your like, I guess... And then in in the town of Andover, the small town heroes are Jess's parents, uh, Smasher and uh, Shockwave. Yeah, but it's like 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 sorry, we're like jumping all over the place. But I really like the fact that her mom 
is just like, I don't know. I really like being a real estate agent. <laughs> and like in in that town, like the uh, superhero business is kind of like yeah. declined because uh, the villains aren't they showing up. Yeah, they yeah. disappeared. So there's like nothing <laughs> for uh, Jess's parents to do. And they both take it in very different ways. It reminded me of uh, Randall Park and Constable's characters in uh, Fresh Off the Boat where like const- like the mom just wants to hustle and like, oh, yeah. <laughs> she wants to like be her own person. She wants to succeed and be good at what she does. And the dad just wants to be American so much. He just wants to be part of the League of Superheroes. He like he's bought into like this new American dream. Yeah. And and there's like tears to like uh which category of of like superhero you are. Mm-hmm. Like there's like there's like the A class, which is like you have like many different powers and you're able to like retain those powers for a long time. Yeah. And then like her parents are kind of in the lower rung, <laughs> and that's why they were assigned to like the middle of the desert. Yeah, uh, but then the villains are also like their crime is like changing signs and um, putting bubble bubbles in the country club. And I mean, what, the interesting thing is like even from the beginning when you read about when, when CB describes the crimes of Master and Mistress Mischief, who are the the, the neighborhood supervillains. They seem more like like activists than villains, yeah. right? They're trying to like through their crimes. They're trying to expose inequality and um, wake up, sheeple. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they sabotage the country club sprinklers to sprinkle out bubbles to demonstrate how they're wasting water, a precious resource, on something that doesn't benefit anyone but the rich. And it, and and it's like really funny that like. They're super rich yeah. because, like, of of all like the technology that they invent for their corporation, mm-hmm. and it's just like, oh, funny, like, yeah. like, it's just like, oh, everybody uses their tech, <laughs> and it like better[s] their lives, but they're made by super villains. Yeah, um, I also like the um, so you eventually find out that Abby, um, Jess's crush, is the daughter of the super villains, and then they like they lampshade this, but they it becomes it became kind of like a um, like a Roman, like not Roman Juliet thing, but like two rival f- houses and their like daughters fall in love. Yeah, but it's really not that big of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, like she just finds out that um, that Abby also likes her. Yeah. yeah, and I guess we should mention like the mysterious M. Yeah, at, like the internship. It was fun. Like, how? When did you start suspecting that they were the same person? Because like, I thought right away. Yeah, same here. Immediately, <laughs> as soon as like, as soon as Abby was like, "Okay, I'm gonna like go do my thing," yeah. and then immediately after, like, M shows up, and I was like, "Oh, I see where this is going." Okay, and, and M is described as the mischief's, uh, I guess, protege who wears his like boss's suit. Because yeah. I guess um, Abby's dad, Master Mischief, wears a robot suit because his power is to is the power to manipulate electronics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magneto, pretty yeah. much, with, but with like technology. <laughs> and then her mom's power was telekinesis. Yeah, and I like, and this is like further down, but they the way they characterize it is like her mom is actually a really powerful superhero, like she's probably like class A or above, but she chose. Um, to become a villain out of love. And I want to see that story from, like, 
Yeah, it's probably going to show up in in Abby's book because mm. there are four books. Right, in we the talked series. to um, the author CB Lee, and we're going to put that interview out maybe probably next week uh, for you to, as a supplement to this discussion. But yeah, she announced that there's going to be four books in the series. Yeah, I like. I felt pretty bad for for Abby because her parents had disappeared, mm-hmm. and it's not even like it's like oh they disappeared for two weeks. Like they were. They disappeared for like over a month, and yeah, you know, she's like an only child, and she's taking care of like, like she's trying to desperately find her parents, but she can't really look for help because they're villains, right? And so at first, she brought um, Jess in as just to help her with the day to day, so she can keep up appearances, yeah, while she looked for her parents, yeah, and yeah. also like you know, help running her parents' company, right? Like mm-hmm. that's a lot to put on a high school <laughs> student. And yeah, just like, like I feel like that that is the reason why she and Jess get along because like through her disguise as M, she's able to like open up more and uh, yeah. finally have someone to like confide the secret <laughs> in, right? Um, I liked, um, so th- this all leads to like Abby's search becomes the central plot point towards the second and third act of the book. Uh, once everything is revealed, uh, and um, this is where the utopia part of this, like the post dystopia utopia, cycles back to dystopia when you realize that even in like this like world of you know like relative stress free living, uh, besides the fact that you can't eat meat because there's no, no meat, um, people with power still abuse it. Oh yeah. Yeah, and definitely. That becomes that becomes like the main threat they they find is they find out that the um, the head superhero of the league, um, Captain Orion. Yeah, right? Captain Orion. Um, she is basically ex- doing experiments on villains, trying to increase her own power, and also basically using superheroes and the coverage of superheroes as like her own like Fox News like like fake <laughs> news, news like fake news. Uh, propaganda system to keep everyone docile pretty much yeah right like don't worry about anything superheroes will take care of all your problems is the message he wants to give and that's how she has power yeah and also like even with her power like she's like a d-class superhero (laughs) and she takes like these drugs to to like beef her up but her her whole and then so she's technically the super villain and her whole thing is like it's for your own good yeah. Right. And the sad part is she her her doctrine has like basically taken over Jess's older sister, Claudia, who looks up to Captain Orion and wants to be just like her, right? She colors her hair and everything. And um I mean one of the main one one of the big like twists is that Claudia ends up being an antagonist. Yeah, I kind of I kind of guessed that <laughs> that was gonna happen. I don't know. It's just like I don't know how I thought it was going to happen, probably because, like, Jess is trying to, to like, do the right thing, right? To, like, help Abby find her parents and to expose uh, this despicable plot of um, of doing experiments on supervillains. And, like, you – and then it's like, okay, well, she needs to have, like, more of an obstacle than Captain Orion. Yeah. So I, I just kind of assumed that that would happen. Also, like – Sister rivalry is always kind of a thing in books. I don't know why, but it it is. And um, 
Yeah, what? But Bells, you find out that he has superpowers as well. Yeah, he's he, a he's a shapeshifter, yeah. and he he's actually like the youngest superhero to be part of the league, and um, like Jess and Abby, they don't know until like much later in the book. Yeah, well, yeah, because Jess finds out she actually has a superpower, and I think this is also a very like. I don't know if it's meant to be an Asian American thing, but it is where you find out you have a power that is not valued by your parents oh, yeah. or society, <laughs> but it's really good and you're really good at it. And I kind of felt that like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's a pretty dope power, even though no one else really values it. I thought it was really funny how that was like hinted at from the very first chapter <laughs> when like her car GPS is like not working and she's like, I guess I'll just drive. This way until I reach something. I have a feeling that I'm going the right way. And like it turns out to like be all okay. Yeah, she and, has the power to power of direction. Right. Yeah. And it's really funny how uh she finds out how she has that power. Because oh, she's hungry. Yeah, because she's hungry and she's at like the uh the internship office and she's like, I'm gonna cook us some ramen. Yeah. And she just like walks forward and like finds the kitchen, and then finds where the ramen noodles are. And well, also, like, she, like, walks into the secret lair, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Abby's just like, that's not possible. Like, <laughs> how did you do that? Like, that has to be a power. And yeah. she's just like, no, it's it's just me. I'm good with directions. <laughs> it's like, no, that that is your power. Yeah. So that's how they find out that. Because um, they introduced Chameleon before as the newest superhero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, they need to find him because they need his power to get into to break into the secret lab where Abby's parents are supposedly being held. Yeah, uh, and then he gets involved because <laughs> because um, there's this plot point where they're saying that like, oh look at look at all these superhero victories, and then um, Jess was like, this is way too well produced to be a like a found footage, live footage uh, recreation of. Uh, found footage um, uh, video of this fight. Look at the optimal angles optimal that it has, angles. right? <laughs> and so, um, Bell's. You find out that it's actually Bell's pretending to be the villain, the missing villains um, in those like fake. And it's like the yeah, it's like fake news propaganda videos yeah. that the superhero league created to basically show that they're doing their jobs. Yeah, like in Not Your Villain, uh, th- those were like his early assignments because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, it'll be good for you to get like like hand-to-hand combat training. <laughs> and that was like, that was him like doing training, but he thought that like the other superhero knew that he wasn't the supervillain, but that uh. wasn't the case. So like, it, like it's pretty funny how like you, you find that out like in the middle and you're like, oh, then who <laughs> like... Like if the supervillains are disappearing, then who who is that? And yeah. and it like ties in together pretty well. One one thing that like stood out to me, like one scene that stood out to me was when uh Jess and Abby go to confront Captain Orion and uh Abby is down because like she Captain Orion like injects something in her which like disturbs her powers. Right. And Jess, who doesn't really have any uh, aggressive superpowers she can't do anything mm-hmm. and captain orion is like making fun of her parents being like oh they should have just stayed 
in Asia and uh right. and like she makes fun of their accents and says, "Oh, like do you think they'll ever be on like milk cartons?" and and I'm just like, "Oh, okay, like racism still exists in this world." <laughs> like, she's not very nice no, and she's, she's actually not. like the worst. And I I mean, I haven't read Not Your Villain yet, but I want to like I wonder if like that realization will dawn on Claudia or not. But yeah, she like her she essentially evil monologues and just reveals herself to be just like a petty tyrant, right? Yeah. Um like the superhero tropes in in this book, it's like when you're reading you're like, "Oh, the author knew that this was a trope and uh purposely like made it more sarcastic, more exaggerated." Like the <laughs> evil monologue, I'm just like, that like that happens in every movie every comic book but like it's it's there and you know that it's like way over the top when you're reading it (laughs) well i mean it's also that trope that like the the good villains think they're the hero right yeah and in this case the villain is the hero yeah but overall i thought this was a very fun read like it was super breezy i mean that was um so we had a comment from um, Goodreads member Jas, who um, enjoyed, who also enjoyed the book, enjoyed that um, it was like a superhero sci-fi dystopian that was um, up her alley. Uh, and she said, uh, "I know people who've read it found it predictable, but its predictability is one of the reasons I enjoyed so much. There is definitely a place for LGBT fiction that is sad and depicts a very real problems, but it is mentally and emotionally exhausting to read. So to read a lighthearted book knowing that Jess will, one, get the girl, and two, come out alive at the end of the story is not only refreshing, but also really healing. Um, sometimes it's just nice to see a bi-Asian character in one of your favorite genres. Tired tropes are a lot less tiring when the characters involved actually look and act like you. Which, like, yeah, it makes sense, right? There's, um, And this is something that we, we've experienced, too, which is like the rom-com genre oh, yeah, being the revitalized genre. by Asian-American leads. That's all you need, you know? <laughs> And like, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm bored, and I'm not even like a rom com kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that like, um, and I, I know the tr- uh, the biggest trope in like queer media is if you have a queer character, they must have like either a tragic backstory or something tragic happens to one or both of them. Yeah. Like, or like the entire book is about the discrimination that they face. And yeah. It's like it's nice that everyone at their school is kind of okay with like everyone's like sexual identity and it's like yeah like yeah like there's definitely a place for those books but it's def it's also very important that you have stories where like queer kids can just be queer kids and they can see themselves as heroes they can see themselves as just uh like they can see queer characters just having fun yeah yeah and like this book really did remind me of Heroin Complex because that's also a book with Asian American superheroes. Yeah, and like it's it's really funny, and of course there there is like a like an evil plot to it, <laughs> but it subverts uh, superhero tropes and just makes fun of it kind yeah. of. And it's about like two Asian American girls who are just having fun, and that's how I felt about this book. It's about Jess and her friends just <laughs> kind of having fun because a lot of the book is about them just at school and just like being friends yeah. and, and like just kind of hanging out. And then you have like this 
plot in the background about supervillains right. disappearing. And the big battle isn't even like the climax, right? It's the after the climax. There's a whole like area in the desert where they're just trying to get home. Yeah, that that was that was like pretty interesting. Where like uh, Jess and Abby are kind of lost in the desert, and <laughs> Jess is like, "I got this. I like <laughs> human GPS right here. If I just walk this way, there will be water. If I walk that way, then yeah. like we'll find like a gas." Kind of gives somewhere. her like her chance to shine. Yeah, uh-huh. it's not a useless power after all. She's Actually, like- I would want that superpower. <laughs> I have no sense of direction whatsoever. But yeah, like it. You know how, like, have you seen Ocean's 8? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, the reason why I really liked Ocean's 8 was, one, like, an all-female cast, right? And Mm -hmm. it's, like, and it's, like, really nice to see that just in any movie. But it was also just, you know, it was stress-free. You knew (laughs) that they were going to get away with it. They knew that, like, the heist (laughs) would be uh, successful. And it was just, like, really satisfying to just see a group of competent women just, like, doing their work, getting their shit done, and no one, like, like no one really hindering them. <laughs> and, like, that's the thing about this book. It's, like, really nice that you, like, like our uh, Goodreads member said, uh, Jess, like, you, you read the book and you're like, I know that everything's going to be okay. I know that uh, Jess is going to get the girl and, yeah. uh, like, the day is going to be saved. So I think it's really nice to have a stress-free read <laughs> like that. There's definitely a place for those books. I mean, like we said, we kind of predicted the twists right when they started getting foreshadowed. But that didn't that didn't detract from the enjoyment of reading this type of book. And one trope that um, I've started noticing in Asian American authors um, that I am not uh, I don't that I do not have a problem with is them describing our food oh yeah give me (laughs) all the food porn like I am adding CB Lee to the list of authors who write excellent food descriptions like in that list is like Cindy Pond uh, author of Want and also Maureen Gu Maureen Gu of of Yang Zhe Chu, mm. uh, author of The Ghost Bride, which yeah. we read on this uh, on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, like, it's nice to see our culture in contemporary books. Like, how long have we had uh, Asian American books where it's all about the immigrant struggle yeah. or, like, um, the gap between second generation and first generation and, like, living up to your parents' expectations. Like I said, there are there is a place for those books. It's really important that we have those books, but it's nice that we are getting more contemporary and fantasy and at the same time though, we kinda had all of that in this book too. Yeah, we did. Right? You yeah, had, we did you know, in small doses. I mean you have the trying to trying to be as super as your parents. And I mean if you like tear out all like the metaphor and this is not me reading too much into it. Like our parents, especially first generation immigrants, are kind of superheroes, right? They they were they're super brave and they're super like they did stuff that we would never like think about doing. Yeah. To survive. And that was part of the that was that that became that that came out in the reason why, like, even though Jess's mom suspected things, just like knew that the system was unfair and maybe even corrupt, they didn't say anything because it was how they were raising their kids. It's how they got their home, got their jobs, and how they were able to survive in this new country. 
because they were their family were pretty much refugees from yeah like future Southeast Asia too. No, isn't that interesting that like like there are refugees in yeah. <laughs> like two hundred three hundred years from now? I mean, obviously this is fiction, and of course, like C. B. Lee. Uh, drew from a lot of like her own experiences and her parents' experiences, um, but yeah, like yeah, I mean, they hinted at there was larger global conflicts that the North American collective was funding and like pretty much playing shadow politics around the world, and that was the reason why they needed superheroes to keep everyone like unaware of the larger problems. Like as long as there's someone taking care of our day to day problems i.e. like super villains, mm-hmm. then they don't need to worry about what hap- what's happening outside. Yeah. Right. And what did you think about, like, this is something that I, I, I hope, I'm hoping the next book delves into is the fact that, like, superpower people are assigned to be heroes or villains by the government. Yeah. So they're not even, like, it's the whole thing is pretty much, is, the whole thing is fixed. Yeah, the whole thing is just, like, smoke and mirrors, yeah. really. Like, like, your job is to be a villain. You're assigned this to this town to be this person's arch rival. And yeah, that's like for the first book was pretty much breaching the controversy. And yeah. I'm assuming the next three books will like kind of blow it all open. Yeah. Somehow. I mean, I, like correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, like Abby's parents, they didn't want Abby to go into like superhero training or superpower yeah. training and uh well, they did because abby's father was willing was working with the government to get her into the superhero track because she was pre pre-assigned the villain track because her parents are villains because her parents are villains because captain orion is a jerk yeah who like has a grudge and i don't know if they'll they'll um they'll build on this but captain orion used to date abby's father oh yeah i totally forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> um and then abby's mother got with them and then they became villains in superhero category because captain ryan's was like she has nepotism on her side too because her grandfather was the founder of the heroes league of heroes right mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah nepotism um yeah that never goes away because okay so, yeah because that's the center spark because abby's father builds mon robots mon robots because mm-hmm. um, his last name is monroe um wh- which are like your personal like robot assistant right they do like yeah. menial chores around the house um they're kind of sentient um but they have a uh, the newest versions have a self-defense protocol which is supposed to be for security right keeping out burglars and stuff but also when turned on can basically they can murder anybody in the <laughs> house so the government wants access to, to that function which has been you know blocked and like locked away by uh, by abby's father um, because they want to be able to assassinate any anyone they want. Woof. <laughs> Woof. Which, like, yeah, like, again, even in this, like, kind of fluffy, utopian, like, worry-free future, people with power still. Yeah. Yeah. What did you, what did you think about the whole, like, superheroes are pretty much the propaganda of the government? That's what I hope the future books will we'll start delving into and you you've read the next book most of it yeah most of it yeah uh, do, do they get more into that yeah they do okay yeah cool looking forward to that i freaking love bells you guys like <laughs> bells is great and i'm really enjoying uh 
like his story yeah. and not your villain. So I definitely recommend picking that up if you guys are more interested in the story of in the in the world of not your sidekick. And yeah, like I'm really excited. I think I am most excited to read about Abby's mm. uh, story because there's like so much about her that is kind of shrouded in mystery. Um, yeah. Aside from her parents being supervillains, but like I would definitely want to know more about like how what that experience is for sure, right? Because yeah. the books also are from different characters POV. Yeah, yeah. So on um, this one, obviously, Abby is Jess's crush, so she's going to be really idealized. Yeah, right. I mean, like, like how does that feel when your parents are kind of you know your your parents are kind of like quote unquote despised? I mean, they're like small time supervillains, yeah. but like. They're seen in a negative light by the community and like you live your day-to-day life like hearing things about your parents and people like saying bad things about them. Like what <laughs> like what is that experience like? And yeah. like having this double life. Like even perception wise, do you remember that part where they were going through because I guess all the heroes get their own comics, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And like just the saying, yeah, like my mom's boobs aren't that big. <laughs> But they're drawn that way because that's how, like, basically, like, I feel like it felt like the characters in mass media were whitewashed in, in a sense. Like, they were misrepresented in physical form because it's easier to expect heroes to be like that. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, that'll do it for a discussion. Um, any, any last thoughts about not your psychic? I remember when this book was announced, like I, this was right around when we started our podcast Mm -hmm. and uh, it was published around the same time as Heroin Complex. And those two books were kind of like marketed towards uh, together. Mm -hmm. And I think it was by accident because they're not (laughs) from the same publisher. Um, But I remember the hype around this book i remember uh it being retweeted a lot and people saying like oh my god this is a bisexual asian american <laughs> protagonist this is amazing and and like just the cover right you have like she's clearly asian in the cover and that was like one of the first times we've seen like yeah like an asian um asian woman in in a cover and it was just like yeah like this is a big deal i remember it I remember thinking like this this is gonna change a lot of things in Asian American literature and it turns out that like I was right. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's interesting how excited you can get about finally seeing something different, something that you can relate to more. Like even though I don't like I'm a straight dude, like I related a whole lot to a lot of what this book had and her descriptions and just about like like reading that first chapter, I immediately thought of like yeah, parental expectations. I get <laughs> it. I get it. You know, um, when I, when her actual powers are revealed, and it's like yeah, I get it. You know, being good at something that no one else thinks is worth anything. I mean, that's pretty much the Asian American creative struggle, right? For a lot of people. Yeah, like there aren't. Like, there aren't a lot of books that I can just hand over to people and be like, oh, this has, like, a queer person of color as a protagonist. Like, it's really, you know, it's kind of sad. But, like, I think that's, like, that is getting, like, that's improving in in literature so far. And, um, yeah, like, I I know that it, like, from Twitter, I know that it meant a lot to uh, 
people in the queer Asian American community. And, you know, it's really, it's like, it's really amazing that like how one book can just be. And it shows that you can tell these stories that center on people that have up till now been othered and still be a huge success because there are people hungry for those point of views and for those stories. So, uh, congrats to CB Lee for her success. Um, congrats on her making this into because, uh, um, as you'll hear from our interview, this was only supposed to be one book, and then she was able to like get them to let her do a whole series. Yeah, which is awesome. Like we talked about a lot of things with CB Lee, so uh, yeah, definitely check that episode out. Yeah, um, coming out next week. Yeah, um, what are we reading for the month of July? We are reading a tale for the time being by Ruth Ozeki, and it has some form of time travel, from what I hear. Okay, and it's it's been a book that's like that's been on our uh, Goodreads suggested reads list for a very very long time Mm -hmm. like there are so many books in that list and like (laughs) like we've randomly picked books from from that list but you know it's been on like i think it's like number two on that list so we're finally tackling it yeah Um, my copy should be coming in today so um i can't wait to um, dig into it and i'm guessing that people already know what our august book club pick is (laughs) It's a really big rom-com movie that is coming out in theaters. In theaters, not Netflix. In theaters, not Netflix. (laughs) That is a different uh, Asian-American rom-com. Who knew that August would be the day, the month of Asian-American rom-coms? Right? Like, you you would think that it would be May on Asian-American Heritage Month, but they were like, let's cash in on those summer tickets. Let's cash in on the fact that eight is a lucky number in the Asian culture, especially Chinese. Oh my god! But yeah, I finally saw uh, "To All the Boys I Loved Before" yeah. the uh, the movie, and you know I we wish... can only give reactions right now. The I know I is, wish the embargo, embargo. would, <laughs> but I I really liked it. Mm. Um, I I am reading the book right now. Yeah, and um, I'm having a good time. How is that feeling of reading the book after watching the movie? Because that's something I do. <laughs> It it is a different experience. Like, I mean, like with Never Let Me Go, I didn't know that it was a book until I watched the movie, uh-huh. and then I went back and read the book. But the book is so different from yeah. I mean, like the the plot points are the same, but like the experience is so different. <laughs> and I'm kind of getting the same feeling with uh the book uh to all yeah. the boys I've loved before because. Um, you get into the character's head it's first person narrative Mm. so there's definitely like a shift there (laughs) there's like a gap there but yeah like i i really enjoyed the film and i'm really enjoying the book so far yeah and yeah i'm excited for august because oh boy it's going to be a busy month for us yeah um as always you can subscribe to us on uh on google Podcasts, apple Podcasts. Uh, Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts, uh, we have a new website. Go to booksandbulba.com to check out, um, keep up with the podcast, check out our, uh, check out our past picks. And we're going to be probably doing some more blog posts going forward, um, highlighting new releases and, and maybe even some preview or review coverage. We don't know yet. We need publishers to send the stuff to cover. Um, also sponsors would be nice. If you know of anybody, man, we're approached. Wait, is this our 50th episode? I might be. 
or 49th. We're close. We're close. We're, we're to 50. close. We're close. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's strange. <laughs> it's a really weird feeling. Uh, thanks to the Potluck Podcast Collective for letting us be a part of their great network. Um, check out some of the other great Asian American hosted podcasts on the Potluck Collective by going to their website at podcastpotluck.com. And also special thanks to VC. Um, we, re- we are recording at the Potluck Podcast Studios located within the Visual Communications Office in Little Tokyo, Los Angeles. Uh, VC is a nonprofit media Org supporting Asian American Pacific Islander um, creatives and filmmakers, and they're the ones in charge of the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival, among other programs. You can learn more about them at vconline.org. Um, and thank you, Rira, for steering this ship for the last almost 50 episodes or 50 almost episodes. Almost 50 episodes. We, <laughs> like, I'm going to check later, and if it's 50 episodes, I'm going to This be might like... be the 50th we've recorded, but uh, we've got a couple interviews banked so i'm not exactly sure yeah that is that is true (laughs) but yeah i didn't think that we would get this far you didn't i I really didn't we've it's almost been two years it's almost been 24 books when when we started this book club i'm just like oh man like book clubs they're so like there's there's such like an unreliable uh (laughs) (laughs) unreliable like social gathering or like or activity i guess and it's just like i wonder how many books we're gonna read i wonder when we're gonna like just give up at one point (laughs) i mean that's the benefit of the podcast being that we're gathering with you the listener wherever you find us yeah there's a responsibility there (laughs) (laughs) um and because of that will we please do um, interact with us um, on our goodreads group in the forums um let us know what you think about the episode what you think about um the book um and basically if you want to talk about anything asian american book yeah also introduce yourself like i I was going through the introduction thread not that long ago and just like the number of uh like different backgrounds that we have in our in our book club it's it's really cool like we have some people who live in england and like sometimes they like pitch in on like what uh what it's like for them to see representation because apparently there's not a lot of asian representation in british literature and i was like it's like but you guys have so many asian people in your country that's so weird and you colonize half of asia yeah yeah it's, like, <laughs> it's just like where are they um so yeah it's been really interesting and i would love to see uh, like you know we would like to know who's in our book club please introduce yourself yeah. um with that I, said that though yeah uh, thanks for listening. This has been Books and Boba discussing Not Your Sidekick by C.B. Lee. Uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Bye.